to our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. I uh, uh, look forward to this uh, every Wednesday. This is really my favorite service of the week. I get more jazzed about this one <clears throat> than any other one. Actually, I'm feeling a little cruddy tonight, a little bit of a cold. You guys got a little bug going around? Well, if I go, you might want to duck. But uh, <laughs> actually, I'm doing better now, so uh, hopefully we get through. But I, I, I thought, you know, part of me thought, well, you know, I'm a typical man. I'm sick. I can't do anything. But I thought, no, I got to go to the Bible study. I, I love this thing. So glad to be here. Now, we are in the uh, book of Ephesians. And uh, what we do on our Wednesday night Bible studies, we take a book of the Bible and go through it verse by verse, keeping it all in context. We try to keep people uh, focused on what the overall message is. We take a few detours here and there, which I'm given to do. But the whole thing is to be in context. And we, and we try to encourage people to bring their Bibles, follow along, see where we've been, where are we going, uh, and whether or not I'm making this stuff up for yourself. You can look at it and, and make sure I'm staying on, on, on target here. Um, now, the book of Ephesians, uh, for those of you who have already been in it, we're already at chapter 5, we're almost done with this thing and moving on to another book. But book of Ephesians uh, is almost broken into two halves. The first half talks very much in terms of theology and who, what Christ did for us and who we are. And he writes of how, as believers, we are lifted up in status, uh, 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 seated with Christ in the heavens, you know, seated in heavenly places, he says, which is really hard for us to relate to because we, we're still stuck here and we don't feel like our status has been lifted. But it doesn't matter how you feel. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, a miracle has happened in you that will be reflected throughout eternity. God will point to us as his example of love throughout eternity so that there will never, ever again be another rebellion like the one instigated by Lucifer. And, uh, and, and God has done this incredible thing in us. And what, so what he does in the first half, he's, he's trying to say, look, this is who you are. And he was praying, you know, God to open their eyes. And I use the analogy of, you know, we're like puppies. You know, we're born and our eyes, we don't quite see so good. And he, he tries to get us to open our eyes so that he says we can begin to comprehend the depth, the width, the breadth, the height of, of God's love. And, and the power of God that is in us, he wrote is the same power God used to raise Jesus from the dead. We have so much available to us as believers. You say, well, why, why doesn't our lives reflect it? Because we're so carnally minded. We're such meatheads. We think more like the world that we live in and we spend all our time thinking about unspiritual things that we kind of mute uh, the, the spiritual power that is in us and how it's important for us to think about spiritual things, blah, 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 blah. So, anyway, so what his point now is he gets into the second half of the book and says, look, because you, God has done this incredible miracle in you, what lives you ought to live? You ought to live like children of light, not in darkness. He used to be in darkness, but now you're in light. Man, this is, our, our status of living should go through the ceiling because of what Jesus has done in our hearts okay so that's where we're picking it up we're in chapter 5 now and he starts saying here uh, so be imitators of God therefore he says as dearly loved children imitators of God what you see in God imitate what you see in Christ imitate Uh, and actually the Bible encourages that anything that you see good in another brother or sister 
You should imitate that thing. I mean, the Bible says that we should provoke one another to love and to good works. We, we do the first part of that verse. We just provoke one another. Uh, we, don't, we don't pick up the rest of it. But it's not just provoking. It's provoking to love and to good. Inspire each other. Be imitators, you know. Um, I was uh, with my grandson, you know, a couple of days ago. And, you know, if I take a swig of water, he's got to take a swig of water. And if I go, ah, he goes, ah, you know. And every little thing he's got to imitate. And uh, it's just kind of a funny little thing to watch. But this is kind of how we are supposed to be towards God. When we see when God shows us things about the nature of Christ and what, and the way Jesus loved and, and these people loved and any examples of love around us, we should think, man, I want to be like that. I want to imitate that. In fact, in, in other parts, Paul said, encouraged them, hey, imitate me. Imitate me. Do what I do. Uh, which is a whole different than just do what I say. All right, he encouraged them to do what he says, but he said also do what I do. I mean, he lived this. And we ought to be able to have that kind of life as believers where if someone says, how do I succeed? Do what I do. Do what I do. And, and, and it can lift, lift each other up. So it's kind of cool. So be imitators is what we're supposed to be of, of God. And live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself uh, up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So as Christ loved us. This is the example. And we're going to see this as we get later into... Uh, uh, chapter 5 when we start talking about husbands and wives and kind of some tricky areas here, touchy areas for some people. But, but the, the, the reference that is using is Christ. We're supposed to love each other as, as Christ loved. We should live a life of love. Um, easy to say, not so easy to do. And, and remember, love, uh, and I don't want to go read it again because we read it a couple of weeks ago when we read uh, in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, love is kind. Love is patient. Love is long-suffering. Love doesn't keep records of wrongs. You know, man, I know people, they just keep every little stinking record of anything ever happened wrong to them. You know, when it happened, what the temperature was, what the barometric pressure was, the winds out of the northwest. I mean, they just keep track of every little thing. The Bible says love doesn't do that. You don't keep track of records of, of, of when you get wrong. You're patient, you're kind. Anyway, all this wonderful explanation of what love is if you read in 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter amazingly not one time does he ever mention a feeling in our culture today we think love is very much a feeling I feel in love I feel in love not sure what they mean by that but that's not real love love is an act love is something you do indeed I believe it is possible to love someone and feel very negatively about them it's true. It's true. If you can't stand me, give me a hundred bucks. And that is an act of love. <laughs> I don't really care what you feel about me. You know, you can be kind to me. And sometimes we feel, you know, well, I'm being hypocritical. You know, if we don't feel it. Well, who cares what you feel like? Couples, you know, they, they are, I, I just don't feel it anymore. It doesn't matter what we feel. Feelings come, feelings go. You live by your feelings, you will live a disaster of a life. Don't let your feelings guide your, particularly your most important relationships in life. Love is about helping. What did Jesus tell? Uh, he came to a rich young ruler one time and, and, and told him, uh, I think it was a young ruler, whatever he was. Anyway, and uh, he, he said, uh, you know, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, well, obey the commandments. 
you know, what are they? He said, you know, love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, great, do that, you'll be good. Well, the guy wanted to justify himself, said, well, who is my neighbor? Surely you don't mean anybody. There's a lot of scuzz bags out there, right? He, so he starts using the example of this Samaritan. And the Jews hated Samaritans. Jesus talked about the parable of the good Samaritan. We won't get into it tonight, but I mean, uh, uh, how the Samaritan showed love towards this wounded person has, again, nothing to do with feelings. It was kindness expressed. Patience. Taking the time. It cost this guy personal money to help heal this individual. That is love. So you can be walking in love and kindness to all kinds of people. Doesn't matter how you feel about them. And don't use your feelings as a cop-out. Well, I, if, I, if I'm nice to that person, I, I'm just being a hypocrite because I really can't stand them. I don't care if you stand or not stand. You need to be nice. You need to be kind. Why? Because this is how God loved us. Oh, that's two amens. Pretty good. All right. So, <laughs> hey, it could be worse. <laughs> could be sit down and shut up. Um, all right. So now, then he goes on talking about how to live our life. And he goes on, he says, listen, among you, there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Not so much as a hint of sexual immorality. And I tell you, if there is one area that our culture is is being poisoned with, uh, and sadly, much of the church has been poisoned with, has been a, a culture of immorality. And this plague of porn and stuff on the internet, mostly taken up by men, but also women who get involved in this stuff, it is a poison that will destroy your life this will not help you it will not improve your love life it is all this stuff is just a mess and it's so sad you know because people today is like you know one of my challenges that i try to give is 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 for men to start becoming real men in our culture we've talked a lot about that this year and we're going to talk about it again now as, as we get back from uh from the summer break but uh for men to be real men. We don't have real men today. Good Lord, we've got artificial plastic imitation guys who live off of virtual sex and you know, they don't have to they don't know how to make how to be a lover to a real woman. They've got to live in some fantasy world. This is not being a man. This is being this is being a poisoned, broken individual. And if you struggle with this stuff, you need to come get help. We can help you. We've got some great programs. We've got a Celebrate Recovery program. Celebrate Freedom. Is that what we call it now? So, you know, it helps deal with some of these addictions. And I'm telling you, this thing is an addiction. It is... is I, I, I met a guy once who told me he had been a, uh, a heroin addict, an alcoholic, and addicted to porn. And I said, wow. And, and Christ had totally set him free. Amen. And, and, I, and I said, yeah... And I said to him, I said, just out of curiosity, which was the hardest one to, to kick? And in a nanosecond, he didn't think about it, he said, porn. Worse than heroin. You know how heavy heroin is? He said, that was a piece of cake compared to the porn. It is a, it is a drug that is destroying people's lives. And rather than fighting for the standard of not even a hint of sexual immorality, you know, people... 
are allowing this kind of stuff in the church with all kinds of excuses and yeah, well, just this lowering of the standard. It's not helping people. It is destroying people. Don't even go there is what he's saying. He goes on in verse 4. He says, there shouldn't even be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking. You know, the whole dirty jokes thing, you know, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Um, You know, be careful about getting caught up in that stuff. Now, if you were working with a bunch of Christians all day long, you probably don't have problems with this. And most of us don't work with Christians. In fact, I know people who say, well, I wish I could just work with Christians because I hear all this awful stuff. You know, look, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. You don't have to partake of it, you know. And and don't get condemned. You know, sometimes you'll hear one and, uh, and you'll laugh. You know, it's called a joke for a reason. <laughs> Some of them are pretty funny, as disgusting as they are. But, you know, just, man, don't get it caught up in it. Don't be talking about all that kind of stuff and, and, and try and live a different life than all of that stuff. Uh, so rather than all of that, be a person of thanksgiving. Uh, for verse 5, he says, For of this you can be sure. So he builds up to all this. He talks about these problems. He says, Of this you can be sure. No immoral impure or greedy person which he defines as such a man as an idolater you're greedy you're you're making an idol of other things wanting stuff 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 he says no immoral impure or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of of Christ and of God and he says let no one deceive you with empty words what deception what deception that It doesn't matter if you're immoral, impure, or greedy. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Paul's saying it does matter. Don't let anybody deceive you. Now, I'm about to to step into a a little doctrine here. I do it with great fear and trepidation because uh, um, a lot of people have really strong opinions about this. And, uh, you know, I was reading, um, I've been reading about the history of the church. I mentioned that on, on Sunday. And... You know, uh, and how these guys, you know, the, the, through the through the persecutions, and then Christianity became legal, and how it grew and spread, and some of the great theologians of the church and stuff like that, and uh, how they wrestled with, you know, you know, some of the great scriptural truths that we really, they really thought through that we still think of today. But then they kept splinters, like these monks had too much time on their hands or something. Kept analyzing little tiny this and that and that and that. And they started arguing about stuff that, in my view, was just dumb, moronic. But it wouldn't have been so bad if they would just, you know, disagreed about these things. But they got so intense about it that if you disagreed with them, they would label you a heretic and then persecute you, torture you, or kill you. I, I honestly don't understand it. I, you read church history and you just shake your head. You say, yeah, that, that, was, that was the old Catholics. No, 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 no. The Protestants did the same thing, the little rats. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm watching this thing on, 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 on Martin Luther, you know, and how, you know, and, and it's not a slam on Catholics or anything. You know, every, every organization has its ups and downs, and the Catholic Church certainly has it over its, its period. But during the time of Luther, it had gotten very corrupt, and that's what he rebelled against and, and stuff. And then, of course, you know, back in those days, if you didn't agree, you know, they'd bring the army out, and they'd just start killing people. You know, it's a, I forget, like in the first wave, at least in, in the story I saw, you know, 100,000 Lutherans had been killed or something. And, and of course, you felt bad for them. 
you know, she, she had really bad, she was awful. Uh, and, and until I started reading that, uh, then there was another group of people uh, called the Anabaptists, which really think more like we think. Okay, because Luther, you know, broke away from some traditions but held on to some and stuff. And for the most part, we didn't get, most evangelicals don't, don't hang on to a lot of those uh, high church models. And, and, and then the Lutherans started killing those guys. And I thought, well, for crying out loud. <coughs> and then those guys would kill other guys. You know, it's good night. I mean, it, for thousands of years in church history, they really insisted everybody think the same. Or I will kill you. Now, how in the world you take the jump in logic? Now, these men are arguing over the scriptures. Okay. Some of this stuff's major stuff, you know. But some of it's like piddly little nonsense, you know. It's like, I was, you know, I was hearing this one story about the, uh, some big crusade was about to happen and the, the fate of, 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 the, uh, 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 of Europe is in the balance and stuff and all these leaders got together and the first thing on the agenda was this question. If a fly falls in the holy water, is the holy water polluted? Or does the fly become sanctified? <laughs> it's like, good grief of all the ignorance. But so anyway, they, they, they would fight over the scriptures that they said they loved so much. But then from that, take the leap that I can now kill you if you disagree with me. <laughs> you know, where do you find that in here? There is no place you can find that. Not in the New Testament, maybe in the Old Testament. They used to kill everybody just for the fun of it almost. You know, there are strict rules about everything. If you worked on the Sabbath, they'd kill you. If you disobeyed your parents, they'd kill you. They'd just kill, 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 kill. You kind of listened to what they had to say. <laughs> hey, you didn't want to get killed. But I mean, you know, so anyway, it's just so highly disturbing. Anyway, so the doctrine I'm talking about is this big doctrine, and most of you aren't even going to know what I'm talking about, and that's great. But it's this doctrine about what, what they call the Calvinists and the Armenians. Now what happened was, people would come to faith in Christ Jesus. And they would surrender their hearts to Christ. And they would be born again and experience the grace of God. And then go on, as Paul said, to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Okay? But then the argument began... Well, when you did that, was that your own free will? Or did God predestine you to do it beforehand? And I think, who cares? (laughs) Honestly, in my opinion, this is one of the most ignorant, moronic, asinine arguments among Protestants. It goes right to the top of the list. Who cares? Now, if you ask, talk to them, they care. And I'm reading this one guy, and he's just absolutely convinced anyone who's an Armenian uh, has totally disrespects the grace of God and doesn't believe in the... You know, all these extreme statements, even to this day, these two groups. And, and I occasionally have people come and meet with me and say, Pastor Mark, we'd like to belong to this church. Are, are you a Calvinist or Armenian? And I, I said, I, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. <clears throat> and... Uh, I, I don't care, you know. You just, I'm just not going to get pulled into that stupid argument. Okay? Now, some people teach 
that the extreme of, of, of uh, some of this thinking, that if, if you've been predestined to get saved, once you get saved, there's nothing you could possibly ever do to not get saved. In other words, once you accept Christ, you can become a rapist, a murderer, a drug addict, or just you know, abuse children, and you'll still go to heaven. Which I think is an extreme statement. And there's others who believe in the same doctrine, but who would say, well, if you did that, that means you really weren't saved in the first place. And it becomes a big argument about semantics and dancing around and all that kind of stuff. And I just refuse to get caught up in this nonsense. What I do is I just look at the Bible. And the Bible says we should receive Christ by faith and then live lives worthy of that calling. And what he says here is let nobody deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, what such things? Immorality, impurity, greed. Because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. And the warning there is on on occasion, and thankfully it's it's been a while since there's been any, you know, every so many years there's this outbreak, you know, like botulism or something in people's thinking, you know, of, you know, of, of what we call extreme grace. And they celebrate the cross and they speak of extreme grace in such a way that you can do anything. It doesn't matter. God loves you so much. You can fornicate. You can commit adultery. You can lie and cheat. Isn't it great? And people get it. And, and Paul has said, don't let anybody deceive you. Because of such things, the wrath of God comes on people. You know, don't get caught up in all this crazy doctrinal stuff like, bottom line, Christ has saved you. Live a life worthy of what he's done in your life. Don't be debating, well, how much sin can I do before I go to hell? (laughs) Seriously. Reminds me of the story of a king who who wanted to hire a a, a new driver for his coach. And they they had these perilous cliffs that they would, you know, winding roads upside the mountains uh, up to the the, uh, castle. And he came to the first guy and says, how close can you get to the edge without falling over? And the first rider says, I could get within two wheel lengths of the edge and not go over. Ask the next guy. He says, I'm much better than he is. I can get within one wheel width and not fall over. A third guy says, I am the best rider that there is. I can ride on half a rim on the edge and not fall over. Finally came to the fourth guy and says, how about you? He says, man, I stay as far as I can from the edge. (laughs) And he's the one who got the job. Why in heaven's name would you be arguing and debating? How close can I get so that my life just totally stinks? How close? And I'm telling you, people think this way. Don't you think this way? People say, well, I've asked Jesus in my heart, but is it okay if I... And they start rattling off sins. I want to know, how much can I get away with? This is not consistent with Christian thinking. Christian thinking is because God has done this thing in your life. Man, live a holy life. Not because you're trying to earn your way to God. It's not about that. You can't buy your way into heaven. But it's like being thankful for what God has done in your life. Ah. He says, therefore, do not be partners with them. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He says, live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. What pleases the Lord? Don't quit having these arguments about how, how much can I displease him and still get away with it. You see the difference? Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness 
he says, but rather expose them. Now, I'm assuming here he's talking about unbelievers. The reason I say that is I know of Christians who use this verse not to have anything to do with each other. Well, he's an idiot. He's, I'm not supposed to have anything to do with fruit, with the fruitless deeds of darkness. And he's in darkness and he doesn't understand. He doesn't agree with me and blah, 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 blah. You know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he's speaking of heathens. And by the way, what we do at Celebration Church, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure there are other churches out there. You know, anytime some church thinks that they're the only ones with, you know, you know they've gone crazy. Okay, but I got to tell you, this whole approach that we take with all these little doctrines and refuse to argue about them is really a different approach to Christianity. I personally love it. It is freeing to me. And this idea that everybody has to agree about all these little doctrines all the time. You know, I don't care what you think about flies and holy water. You know, I just don't care. If you want to think that you can make water holy, good for you. Just come to church and be nice. Love people. Live a life worthy of the calling that God's called you. If you think everything that you do was predestined by God and God has, it makes everything ahead of time, good for you. Just live a holy life. Do the right things. Love people. And if you think that everything's just your call, good for you. Just do the right thing. And all boys are the right thing. What about baptism? Can you be baptized in salt water? Does it have to be fresh water? (laughs) And you know, can you pour it up? If you sprinkle them, aren't you just saved in spots then? What happens then? You know, it's just like... I just just refuse to get pulled into that stuff. Man, oh man. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Rather, expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Again, I'm I'm convinced he's speaking of the heathen that they lived among. But But everything is exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. That's why it is said, and then he quotes from the Old Testament, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. All of this, what he's trying to say, is live like children of the light. As long as you're living by children of the light, I really don't care what your nitpicking doctrines about eternal security and everything else and all these other doctrines are. Doesn't matter to me in the least. Live as a child of the light. That's the point. All right? Then he goes on, he says, Be very careful then how you live. Anybody comes up with a doctrine who encourages you that you don't have to be careful about how you live? Be very wary of that. Again, this is the extreme grace. I've, I've known people over the years who, again, every, seems like every seven years or so, this spreads through Christianity, you know. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I can see your heads. Where they just think, you know, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. We can just fornicate away. Isn't that great? Praise God. <sighs> Be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. All of this is based on, we should live a life imitating God, reflecting God, having the light come from God, finding out what pleases the Lord, learning what the Lord's will is. He goes on, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Um, Now, this is pretty interesting 
for those who say that in the Bible, it wasn't really wine that they drank, it was grape juice. I don't know how you get drunk on grape juice. Uh, that, that would be a lot of grape juice. I would think your innards would explode before you could ever get drunk on whatever. You know, yes, of course they drank wine. But don't get drunk on it. You should not be under the influence of alcohol. Instead, he says, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, don't get under the influence of alcohol. Get under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Oh, man. I'm telling you, this is awesome. Now, what happens? You've got you, all right? And you are just there. Now, there are people who, when they get under the influence of alcohol, they kind of transform. A lot of them actually become very nice. It's true. This is, this is a, sadly, my father-in-law will never hear this because he's not a believer, but actually he's much nicer when he's sauced up. You know, he's... <laughs> He becomes very talkative and very nice and you know and some people the more they drink the friendlier they are and the more open they are I really love you man you're fantastic oh my goodness I've never had a friend like you well what's your name again you know and I mean and what happens they become under the if it transforms them but it transforms in a way that's very negative it will destroy you it will kill you. You'll rot your liver out. You'll do something stupid and, you know, get in a car wreck and, you know, kill other people. I mean, it's, it's a very dangerous thing, okay? But the analogy is great. Because what Paul is saying is, let the Spirit of God transform you. Are you seeing that? Remember, you're just in the middle. And maybe you're not all that friendly. And maybe not you're not that. You know what I'm saying? You're just you, okay? But... If you let the Spirit influence you, it's like, hey man, how you doing? I love you, man. This is, you know, it starts changing you. You become nicer than you would normally be. You be kinder than you normally be. The good thing is you can still drive. Okay? But I, you, you start tolerating things that you wouldn't normally tolerate. You'll start saying things you normally wouldn't say. Right? I don't know what you do under alcohol. This will happen under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But it will be nice things. Have, have you ever been speaking to somebody and all of a sudden you say something and you go, wow, that was pretty cool. <laughs> I have. I mean, just, you can just tell. It's like God was talking to you. You know, you go, whoa, where did that come from? These words of encouragement, words of light, words of, you know, and, and, and quit thinking so much. Well, I'm just not like that. You know, I don't know about this church. You know, I'm, I'm German. You know? <laughs> And uh, we, we just don't do those kinds of things. You know, I don't care what you are. Get under the influence. Get loaded, man. <laughs> Loosen up. You need to take a shot. Come on. Get some of the Holy Spirit in you. It will transform you. It will make some of the... Just like alcohol will make some of the meanest guys soft and cry. <laughs> you know? Man, the Spirit of God will change a person's heart. It is powerful. It's wonderful, wonderful stuff. If you let this come and be a part of you, it will transform you. And, and I tell you, this is encouraging because if you just look at you, you think, I'm never going to get this. Do you ever feel like that? You know, you hear about Christian Orton, just listen to me preach. Sometimes you listen and go, oh, uh, that was great, but I'll never get it. I could never do it. I, yeah, you can't. You need to get loaded by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit 
will help you to start getting this. To help you start doing things you couldn't do before. That's why it's called an empowering. That's why, that's why we want the Holy Spirit to come into your life. So that he will empower you to do things you couldn't do before. Look at the apostles, man. You know, these guys were the keystone cops of the Bible. These guys were dorks. They were just doing all the goofiest things and arguing with each other and finding who's going to be the greatest. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. You know, and, you know, and Jesus gets in trouble. I'll see you later, man. They all took off and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit, and they're hiding. That's what they're doing up there in the upper room. They're praying. Yeah, but they're hiding. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. The Holy Spirit falls on him and boom, something happens. Peter gets under the anointing. He gets drunk as a skunk. And he now steps outside. Starts preaching. Wait a minute, I thought you were hiding. I was, but now I'm drunk. (laughs) And he starts preaching. And and in fact, they were so bold. What did the Bible say? What did they all say at first about them? That they were drunk. He said, he said, guys, we can't be drunk. It's only 9 a.m. in the morning. Clearly they had never been to Green Bay. <laughs> but that's a different issue right there. But, I, but he gets out and these guys have this confidence and this bully. What is, what is over these guys? And they spoke with such convincing words that, I don't know, was it, was it 3,000, 5,000? Just a whole bunch of people got saved after one sermon. Man, I'm thrilled if one person gets saved after one of my sermons, you know. 3,000, that would be pretty kicking. <laughs> hey, check it out. We just doubled in size in this church. One sermon. Wow. Why? How could that happen? Because of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. He allows you to do things that you cannot do. On your own. People often come to me and say, how do you do what you do? How, how, how can you speak and preach and travel and all these things? I, I could never do it. I guess I could never do it either. I just get tanked. And then I can do it. You know, but the Holy Spirit comes in and he empowers you and inspires you and just, wow! <laughs> I, just, I just think it's awesome. You know, I just, if you... And, and then he says, so don't get under the influence of booze. Get under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And then he says uh, in verse 19, you know, like a bunch of drunk people, speak to each other in psalms and hymns and sing songs and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you telling me? Are you telling me? Are you telling me? We should be walking around singing songs and hymns and stuff all day long. Yep. Well, I can't do that. It's because you're not drunk. <laughs> you get drunk, you sing songs. You'll be happy. It changes you. You don't really care what other people think so much. You know? It's like my grandkids. You know, they'll say all kinds of terrible things in public. I gotta go, poop! You know, you don't say that. <laughs> in public, but they don't care. You know, they just everything's wee to them, you know. <laughs> Okay. Where am I? And verse 20. And always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says, submit 
to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Submit to one another. What do you mean submit to one another? Isn't there just supposed to be one guy in charge who just tells everybody else what to do? No, submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Don't always insist on your own way. You get, you know, 300 people like here tonight and everybody wants to do their own thing. I'm just going to do it my way. No, I'm not going to listen to you. That's not a Christian spirit. A Christian spirit would, it's, it's a yielding. Yeah, okay, we'll do it your way. Let's be kind. Let me, let me help you. It's, 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 it's an attitude of not just thinking about yourself. It's about thinking about others and having this attitude of, of reverence towards Christ. What's the motiva- motivation here? To submit or to reverence Christ? It's reverence Christ. That's what it's about. That's why you do these things. I don't want to do it. Why should I do that? Because Jesus wants you to. That's all. All right. Now. 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 <laughs> now we go where men fear and angels fear to tread. The very next verse. Wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> That's a tough one in this culture. Because first of all, nobody really wants to submit to anybody. But particularly in the home. And, uh, and he goes on, he says, for, why should I do that? He says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. And, and we, we don't like that. Not in family life. It's very, it's very interesting. Now, we're, we're, doing a, we're having an event at the end of October. Uh, we're, we're doing a men's uh, meeting where we've got this guy. He's a phenomenal teacher. He's going to talk about what it means to be a real man. And all you guys ought to be here. And I will make your life hell if you don't show up. But you need to show up. Yeah. Don't be a girly man. Come to this thing and learn something. But one of the things this guy talks about, he says, you know, in every area of life, we all know that someone needs to be in charge. If you're a country, what's the first thing you get? You got to have a president. If you're an army, you need what? The toughest general you can find. If you have a school, well, you got to have a principal. If you're even on a lowly committee, what's the first thing a committee does when everybody gets together? Vote for chairman. You got There's got to be a hand in every in every area of life. We understand there has to be someone, a foreman, a some somewhere on the smallest work details. There's always the foreman. There's always got to be somebody who's in charge. Except when you come to the home. When you come to the home in American culture, we. That's when the demons come out and the devils and the fangs and get away from me. You can't be in charge. Nobody can be in charge. Well, the Bible says the proper structure is that there's Christ and then there's the husband and then there's the wife. They say, well, that's the chain of command. And that's what everybody hates. But it's not the chain of command, it's the chain of responsibility. Christ is responsible for us. As men, we should be responsible for our wives. This isn't some oppressive thing. And stop and think about it. Submission. What is it, what is it typically people? What's all the negative? You know, you're going to be a slave. 
you have no thoughts of your own, uh, you're taken advantage of, you know, all these evil things that women think of when, when guys talk about submitting, okay? So, uh, actually, I've got to read all this first before I get sidetracked on that. Uh, he says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. In other words, you're doing this as a, as a reverence to Christ, but we'll, we'll back up to that. The husband is the head of the wife as, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so the wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Everything. What do you mean everything? I have no life and, I, and I'm a nothing and I lose my soul. And, you know, this, this kind of thinking gave birth of the feminist movement. Uh, and, and parts of that were perfectly legit because some men were totally abusive to their wives. Okay? Now, if that's what you think submission is... That's not what he's talking about. Because look what he says next. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So when you think of a relationship with Jesus, do you think oppression? Do you think, I never have a say? Do you think, taken advantage of? Oppressed? squashed clearly not never did Paul in any way shape or form imply that's what he was talking about that men should walk in and just squash the life of their wife and children because I'm the boss I'm the boss I'm in charge around here Bible says woman submit submit woman give me another beer (laughs) just submit don't tell me to do nothing you need to submit Goodness gracious, is this the picture of Christ dying for the church? A man should love his wife like Christ loved us. How did Christ love us? Did Christ seek his own? Was Christ asking for people to do things for him all the time? Was Christ serving? Was he giving? Was he sacrificing? Indeed, to the very last measure, laid down his life? I'm telling you, if you really understand these verses, it is not the woman who has the harder role here. It is the man. It's the guy. To love your wife that way. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. What is it? Jesus put everything into the church, into us, so we could be this beautiful, beautiful thing. That is how a man should love his wife. Now let me ask you, if a man is sitting on his butt doing absolutely nothing while his wife is overwhelmed with all the chores and duties of the house and the children and she's coming unglued and then he's yelling because you're talking too loud I can't hear the TV is this the picture of Christ serving? and for that man a Christian man to then turn around and bark at his wife you should submit, you should just submit we, we really need a team of guys just to slap people upside the head. Honestly, that's not being a godly man. And first of all, 
you know, it's, it's interesting. It's, women don't quote verse 22. They quote verse 25. And men don't quote verse 25. They quote verse 22. And I say, stop it. Quit reading each other's mail. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. (laughs) That hurts. He who loves his wife loves himself. Love your wife like you love your own body. What do we do with our bodies? We make them as comfortable as they possibly can be. We make sure we get what it wants. We take care of it. We try not to overwork it. I mean, just think of the analogies that go on and on. How a man approaches his own self. This is how he's supposed to love his wife. Yeesh. I'm telling you, the harder part of this is there on the guy's deal. And by the way, the, the command to the women is this big. The command to the guys is this big. Love their wife like their own body. After all, no one has ever hated his own body. No, 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 no. We love ourselves. We feed it. We care for it. We get pot bellies. Just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. He's quoting from the Old Testament now. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh this is a profound mystery he says I'm, I'm talking about Christ and the church however and, and here's his summary each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself I know lots of guys who truly love themselves we're good at that part of it that we got down pretty good is, is we leave the girl out of the equation You need to love that girl like you love yourself. And the wife must respect her husband. It's interesting now, he he doesn't use the word submit. He he uses the word respect. That's really where he's getting at. Respecting your husband as, 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 as you would towards Christ and yielding to Christ. It was never this oppressive idea or concept. Now the problem here is women want to withhold respect to their husbands until they get love. If they don't feel love, they withhold respect. And if the guy feels no respect, he withholds the love. And and it becomes a spiral. And it just spirals out of control. I have much to say on this, but we'll have to pick it up uh, again next Wednesday because I'm I'm out of time. I truly enjoy. Are you guys enjoying this stuff? Great stuff here. All right, praise God. We'll p- we'll pick it up again next Wednesday. Pastor Lathan.